Welcome to CCC's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, October 27th, 2023. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Executive Editor, joins me today from New York City. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. The Association of American Publishers has released its tally of book sales for the year through August, which was a strong month. Yeah, following a July slump, book sales were up significantly, 8.5% in August. This from the 1,233 publishers that supplied data to the AAP StatShot program. Uh, there were increases across all categories over 2020, August 2022. Uh, and this year's numbers were helped significantly by returns that were down almost 20% from last year. You love to see those low return numbers. The number was also helped, I think, too, by a very weak August 2022 comparison. And that number was actually even revised further downward. So that 8.5% bump uh, for this year looks even better. Overall, through August, uh, through the first eight months of the year, AAP's numbers show sales up 0.6% for the industry with adult book sales up 1.7%. Children's and YA book sales down 6.9%. And our listeners will recall that Circana reported earlier this month, uh, they reported their figures through September, through the first three quarters of the year. And they found the third quarter to be a very weak quarter with sales down compared to last year by about 4.1%. So we will see once September's AAP figures come in, how those two figures track, whether uh, Circana's year-to-date down 4.1% after three quarters matches up with the AAP's three-quarter numbers. But I think what we're all looking to at this point is how things will shake out in that all-important fourth quarter, the holiday season. Uh, and we hear the publishers are feeling good about how things are set up for that. Uh, for sure, cleaner returns are going to help that number if those continue but as we noted a couple of weeks ago, so much of this is going to be simply out of publisher's control and is really going to depend on broader economic factors and consumer confidence. Last week, Andrew, you reported on Scholastic's decision to offer an optional package for diverse books at its school book fairs, prompting critics to charge the move was enabling censorship. And now the company is reversing course. Yeah, big news this week for sure is Scholastic officials, albeit with something of a muddled message, said this week that it was going to stop offering that optional collection of diverse books at its book fairs, and in a letter shared with authors and illustrators, apologized for the loss of trust and, I'll quote them here, the pain caused by this exclusionary policy. Uh, the letter came from Scholastic Trade Publishing President Ellie Berger. And as I said, it was addressed to authors and illustrators, uh, hundreds, 1,500, in fact, of whom signed a statement blasting the program and urging it to be abandoned just last week. Notably, the Scholastic letter was not released to the media. It wasn't posted on their company website either. It was shared on social media by some of the authors who received it. And in it, Berger was pretty forthright, I have to say. You know, she said, I, I want to apologize on behalf of Scholastic, adding that while the decision to create the collection was, in her words, made with good intention, the company now understands that it was a mistake to segregate diverse books into an elective case. And, you know, perhaps the biggest news, Berger said that the offering is going to be formally discontinued starting with the next book fair season, which is in January of 2024. And for the remaining fairs this fall, uh, Scholastic officials are said to be working on a, quote, pivot plan. Uh, and Berger pledged to find an alternate way to 
get a greater range of books into the hands of children. Regretted that the company's, and I'll quote her letter here again too, the company's commitment to BIPOC and LGBTQIA plus authors and stories remains foundational for the company. So this move is the latest in response to a controversy that started in September. Our listeners will recall when librarians and educators began reporting on social media that Scholastic Book Fairs was, you know, sort of separating books into this new case called Share Every Story, Celebrate Every Voice. But that case was like opt-in. You had to ask for it. You had to, to want it to get it. And two weeks ago on October 13th, Scholastic was defending the program. They posted a message seeking to justify the program, citing pending legislation in a bunch of states and policies that could imperil librarians and educators for offering certain books in school, uh, mostly LGBTQIA plus titles and books that engage with, and I'll quote them here again, the presence of racism in our country. Critics, however, bristled from the start at the idea of having diverse books segregated and pointed out that many books in the Share Every Story offering, which is a case of 64 titles that amplify BIPOC and LGBTQ plus and disabled perspectives, that these books were not controversial and were wrongly being treated as some sort of dispensable option. In apologizing to a wide array of, array of stakeholders in her letter, Authors and illustrators, licensors, educators, librarians, parents, and readers, uh, Berger also promised that Scholastic would redouble its efforts to combat laws restricting children's access to books. Scholastic apologized, and the program was scrapped, so why do you say the move was muddled? And how are librarians and educators receiving the move? Yeah, well, it was muddled because I thought Berger's letter and apology was pretty straightforward, but it was followed by a formal media statement that has not landed well at all. Uh, the statement was pretty corporate and noted that as the company reconsiders how to make their book fairs available to all kids, and I'll quote this statement here, we will keep in mind the needs of our educators facing local content restrictions and the children we serve. What does that mean, Right. It's pretty clear that librarians and educators have told the company what they need. So I don't understand what's the puzzle to be solved here about making book fairs available to all kids and taking in mind content restrictions. You just make the book fairs available to all kids and you offer these books. Uh, again, books that kids can choose and buy. These are not books in the curriculum. You, know, you just offer these books that speak to all kids. You don't give in to the vocal minority who want to ban certain books and certain voices. And here's the thing that librarians and educators are decidedly not having, that Scholastic is putting their needs first, right? That Scholastic is putting the safety of librarians and educators here first. Because all the librarians that we see and all the ones that we hear from are pretty clearly demanding that diverse fairs be part of these Scholastic book fairs. Few, if any, librarians that I know would ever ask to have diverse books separated out of a collection, whether or not they might face personal risk or get in trouble in their own districts. So the point we're hearing is that Scholastic did not come up with this program to protect librarians or educators, but to protect its own revenue. Uh, it saw the book banner starting to come for them a little bit, and well, this was their solution, right? Well, wrong. And, you know, kudos to the librarians who continue to remind the company that whatever laws or policies may be being passed in some states, and remember, many of these laws are getting smacked down by the courts as soon as they get passed. Anyway, the point of view that needs to be considered here is that of the kids, 
who want these books and who love these books and who deserve to see themselves reflected in these books at these book fairs. You know, not the loud, angry parents or legislators. You know, what we're hearing clearly from librarians and educators is that they want Scholastic and other companies to have their backs in defending the freedom to read and not try to protect them by giving in to the forces that they're fighting against. So, you know, that's the message of the letter that was signed by more than 1,500 authors and illustrators that was sent to Scholastic last week. In fact, I'll quote from that letter here. Deciding that the subject matter of these books might go against a state's law capitulates to the idea that these books are not suitable for children. That's what this author's and illustrator's letter says. It goes on to say that authors, quote, from marginalized communities need the same opportunities as other authors to succeed and to shine. And that letter went on to call on Scholastic not to come up with a program to, quote unquote, protect them, but to use its clout to fight book banning and support the teachers and librarians who are also fighting for access to these books for their kids. And that's really it, right? You know, the great fear we hear over and over again from librarians and educators. And remember, we heard it over the summer when Follett asked publishers to send them a list of, quote, clean books that they could sell in Texas. And publishers responded that they didn't want to do it, that they were wary of self-censoring their list to comply with an unjust law. Indeed, a law that has since been found unconstitutional in Texas. This is simply not what librarians and educators and advocates want. I think it's fair to say that librarians and educators and freedom to read advocates of all stripes and parents and readers are looking at Scholastic warily at this point and now waiting to see what they do next. And that's why I think the message was, was muddled a little bit. I think Berger's statement was her letter to the authors was pretty straightforward. I think the corporate statement was less so. And I do think it points to this key moment that we're, we're in to you know sort of watch. We're, we're in this moment in this surge of book bans that We'll see whether large corporations are going to stand up tall and do what's right and stand with libraries and educators to defend the freedom to read, or whether they're going to seek to you know, protect their revenues with programs that, frankly, amount to censorship, according to many critics. So you know, at this point, I think it's clear that what librarians and educators don't want is to be used as shields for these companies. You can't say, we're doing this for you because you're in danger. Uh, because what we've seen in the response to Scholastic is the librarians are saying, we don't want or need this kind of help. We want you to join us and stand firm against censorship. So as we say so often on this show, stay tuned. I don't think this is quite over yet. Uh, so we'll see. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Executive Editor. Thanks for joining me on the program with your reporting and editorial analysis. My pleasure, as always. Coming up on the CCC podcast... Last week at the 2023 Frankfurt Book Fair, the halls were alive with the sounds of AI. At the Frankfurt studio, I moderated a panel discussion on why machine solutions should make way for human concerns over authorship and authenticity. Dr. Hong Zhu, Director of Intelligence Services and Head of AI R&D at Wiley, told me that copyright is struggling to keep up with technology, as it often does when confronted by innovation. So now the current status situation is, you know, the AI governance is far behind the AI, you know, the capabilities, which is dangerous. And then the, it's very difficult, actually it impacts the, you know, the, the research and also the publishing. Because it's very hard, you know, the, for the people to manage all these, you know, the, these uh, AI capabilities. And then, you know, the, so that's why, you know, the, 
we need you know, the, create the legal framework and to catch up these technologies to have the response. So it, I do have the several concerns about this. So first concern is everyone know is you know, the, and the copyright infringement. So is a, today is a copy, you know, the AI, generative AI, the use, you know, the, the generate the content, which, you know, the infringe on the, you know, the copyright without permission. So this is a problem. Another concern actually is uh, the AI can generate the content, which, you know, it's, a, it's a similar to the, you know, the, the original the content, but it's not that uh, enough to be considered as, you know, the copyright infringement. This is one scenario. Another scenario is, you know, it's, it generates some content it's in, which infringes the copyright, but it's hard to detect. So in both cases, for the, for the copyright holders, it's very difficult for them to enforce the right in both cases. CCC at the Frankfurt Book Fair 2023, next on Velocity of Content. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to the program wherever you go for podcasts, and please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. You can also find Velocity of Content on YouTube as part of the CCC channel. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.